0: Good morning from the United States, Machi, and welcome to Albert Camus Radio, and thank you for taking the time and the preparation time to answer these 20 questions.
1: Uh, Hello, hello world. It's nice (laughs) to to see you, and nice to see the the, the second part of the globe, and (laughs) good morning to
0: you. Yes, absolutely. Okay, here we go with number one. When and how did you first encounter Camus' work? Well,
1: uh, as a Polish student, it was obligatory for me, obviously, to read the plague in my final year before uh, finishing secondary school. Uh, And I remember I started reading it in the morning and I couldn't stop until it was uh, over. So it was just like a a long, long experience uh, of reading and not being able to stop and I was like, this, this is amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, shortly afterwards, I went to study philosophy at the Cracovian University. And it actually turned out that I can learn more about Camille there during the existentialism uh, course, course, which was uh, prepared by my future uh, PhD supervisor. Uh-huh. And we started reading L'étangère, The Outsider there. And from the very moment I started doing other things by Camille, I knew there was something very, very essential in this writing for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, especially The Fall, which was like the third book I read. But Mm -hmm. I knew that uh, there is something very significant there. Mm -hmm. And then obviously I started doing much more in philosophy, which is Myth of
0: Sisyphus and The Rebel, the Mm -hmm. essays. Yeah, great. That's a classic entree into it. And it's... Sometimes people are guided into it by an expert and other times people are just pick it up uh, and it grabs them. Fantastic. Yes. So number two, what are your favorite lines from Camus and why? Uh, it's a hard
1: question, but I, mm-hmm. I have a story actually about Great. this question because uh, several years ago I visited Camus' grave for the first okay. time It's in Lumareon in south of France. And there was nobody there because if anybody else was there, it would be kind of bizarre. So I took out Camille's essays uh, and I read uh, this thing to Camille, which was actually lying there
2: Mm -hmm. in a
1: symbolic way. What always amazes me when we are so swift to elaborate on other subjects, is the poverty of our ideas on death. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I fear it or I summon it, they say, which also proves that everything simple is beyond us. What is blue and how do we think blue? The same difficulty occurs with death. Death and colors are things we cannot discuss. Nonetheless, the important thing is the man before me, heavy as earth, who prefigures my future, But can I really think about it? I tell myself I'm going to die, but this means nothing, since I cannot manage to believe it and can only experience other people's death." I think this is actually one of my most important, maybe not favorite, but it Uh always makes me think how we start being a philosopher, how we start engaging ourselves into philosophical discussions. This is young Camille. Uh was shortly after the diagnosis of tuberculosis, I mm-hmm. think. So his experience of being sentenced somehow to be mortal is very fresh. And mm-hmm. I really, really think this is something important for me to remember.
2: Mm-hmm. his life.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That meditation at the father's grave is at a very timely piece in his life. And, and You don't want to lay too many layers over it, but it drives an awful lot in in Camus that, and I always talk about it and maybe I picked it up from him somewhere, but it's almost like an indictment. And um, the indictment becomes real for him with the diagnosis of tuberculosis that, you know, there's a clock running now and uh, here we go with this. And he realizes that his age, the death of his father, uh, how much time his father had on earth, etc. It's powerful, yeah, very, very powerful piece. I yeah. like the fact that you call it important and not necessarily a favorite.
2: Yeah, it's, it's not
1: favorite because you don't really want to read about death. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you ask the questions Camille did ask in this short part of the, the essay,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we think uh, he's right. We don't know nothing actually about death and still it captivates us, it makes yeah. us questions about the meaning of life, about the meaning of our existence, and about the meaning of others in our existence. How can we help them if we know they are dying, for example? Yes. Kind of important for me.
0: It is, absolutely. Number three, do you think Camus was a likable person? Why or why not?
1: Well, I don't think I know he was a likable person. Mm I've been uh, invited one day uh, to visit uh, Catherine Camille, Mm -hmm. who is the daughter of of Camille. And when I was preparing uh, myself for the interview with her, uh, I managed to find some recordings of the private life of Camille and how other people who knew Camille reacted to his uh, presence. Mm so i know that he was a very likeable person because of a thing that is not really visible not always mm-hmm. visible in his work and i think several years ago there was even a conference on the smile of camille oh. the, because he was a funny guy he mm-hmm. had an enormous sense of humor he he liked to laugh with his friends
2: mm-hmm.
1: he liked to 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 joke around and uh, this is what Catherine Camille actually said in one of the interviews, that people mm-hmm. think of the father as a very serious figure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for her, he was a completely different person. And to me as a Camille scholar, I always have to remember that, that he was yeah. also a human who wanted to have some time with friends and, and love. Yeah. I think this is the kind of uh, character uh, you like in
2: people mm-hmm. in public.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to me when, when you hear that because the group of Camus scholars that I've been associated with and luckily luckily to be associated with the last 10 years are quite a lively, happy crew. So they are very good scholars, very serious at their work but a lot of smiles uh, engaged there. Um, I, I think it might be interesting to hear a little bit about your interview with her and your time with her. Not a lot of people have spent time with her. So I think people might wanna hear your impression of your time with her to get indulge me quickly
1: yes we were there together with another kami scholar grace whistler yeah hello grace if you're listening to this yeah. and we talked a lot it lasted for many many hours and then we went to from the office where she's working which is like all around with books from different countries about kami and publications prepared for for, for future pub, um, publishings, because she's doing a lot of uh, correspondence editions uh, nowadays. Uh-huh. Uh, and the thing I remember the most, uh, maybe two things I remember the most. One was when she actually changed slightly the mood because she didn't know us. When she started to see that we are actually fascinated by Camille's philosophy, she started being more open and more friendly less less reserved mm-hmm. uh, and there were some questions and, and things we were discussing that really opened her for example when we were discussing the, the relationship between Camille and anarchism mm-hmm. I, I really saw that she's enthusiastic that we
2: mm.
1: are trying to get into this um, political and social relationship yeah. because as she said Camille really wanted this relationship to be Visible and mm-hmm. he did spend a lot of time studying the, 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 and reading and corresponding with anarchists from France, from contemporary anarchists. Uh, the other thing, I have never, s- I have seen only short um, recordings of Camille on TV, mm-hmm. but uh, I think when I was talking to Catherine, that she had this kind of very very piercing. Way of looking at you, like Mm -hmm. trying to discover who you are, not only by asking questions. And I had this impression that perhaps this is how Camille actually Mm. reacted to people with a very, very similar gaze and 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 intent look. It was very similar to me to the photos I see of Camille sometimes. I didn't tell her that actually because Mm -hmm. I didn't want say oh you're just like your father because yeah. I didn't don't know her yeah but I had impression mm-hmm. when she was thinking of answers and she was very careful and, mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 it took her some time to think of answers we were talking mainly about the fall mm-hmm.
0: which is her favorite
1: book actually Oh, mm-hmm. she said that it's one of her favorite things that her father has ever written
0: interesting was, usually not was, at the top of the list No, no,
2: definitely. Mm
0: -hmm. Great. That's very insightful. Number four, do you consider Camus an African writer? Hmm. Well,
1: to be honest, I consider Camus a writer. Okay. great. Mm -hmm. Writing for me is uh, much more important the fact that somebody writes is much more important than continents or countries
2: Mm -hmm. or
1: nationalities. Of course, Camille. it was important that he was raised in an African country. Uh It was also important for me that he wrote in French. Uh, It's especially visible when you do a lot of studying of sentence by sentence in Uh Camille. But beyond this, I think there is something in his writing that even today makes a Japanese scholar, a Brazilian scholar, an American scholar, or a Polish scholar come to France and study his manuscripts for months. Uh And this means that it's more important for me to that he's a writer, Uh regardless of all the other um, elements you add to this fact.
0: Yeah, Yeah, the the geographical location doesn't necessarily attach, but do you think where he was raised made an impression on his work?
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You can see it when you read, uh, Wind at Gemila, for example. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and that it's, it's a very, very strong and piercing sensation of being from there. Yeah. Uh, and the whole thing that he tried to recultivate of the Mediterranean culture and mm-hmm. the Mediterranean style of thinking and his attachment to Greek philosophy, which he also considered an element of this uh, cultural heritage. Yeah. So it, it determined him, but not to the level that it was like o- overwhelming. Yeah. Because on the other hand, you always have to remember that he was a Nietzschean thinker. Mm-hmm. And he somehow tried by the means of measure and conflict, which resolves somehow to possess these two elements in him the Nietzschean element, the northern element, and the southern element,
0: as yeah. you would say. Yeah, nice way to describe it with that northern-southern piece, I like that. The whole colonial aspect and different scholars taking different approaches and having different backgrounds coming to the text always brings this question up, it seems like, and and the Algerian question that, that remains in the end with Camus makes it, a question i always like to probe with people about their feelings about whether he is african and it's great to hear answers because some people will see him directly as an african author others will he's french algerian so he's got foot in both sides and then like you you take a different approach so i like it which character Camus created do you identify personally with
2: well hmm mm-hmm.
1: that I would like to be seen as Taru. Okay, you would, okay, great. Why Taru? Yeah, but the, 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 the truth is that the older I get, <laughs> I have to be with myself. Yep. And I'm actually Joseph Grant. You are, okay. Well, so I'm actually a reincarnation of Grant and I have a story about this. Uh, I was sitting in France in the archives, mm-hmm. studying line by line, which is very difficult because his handwriting at the end of his life is horrible. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely impossible to understand a single sentence without um, a long study of his development of handwriting. So you have to find an an element that you know he wrote somewhere or typed somewhere else and compare in order to learn his handwriting.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I was doing it day by day for, for weeks trying to actually to learn a new language, which was Camille's handwriting. And there was a guy who was taking over the whole archive. And he was looking at me every day, trying to understand what I'm doing. And he was bringing me new new sheets, new pages written by Camille when he was working on early versions of the fall. Mm -hmm. And one day he said to me, uh, Maciej, Vous uh, which means in French you are a nerd <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: you're day after day in this beautiful city mm-hmm. this is how I understood it everybody else is having fun drinking wine yeah. and you're spending the most beautiful part of the day trying to decipher some scribblings in an old archive mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. this is The day I discovered I'm is I'm more of a Joseph Grant, actually,
0: trying to rewrite the same
1: sentence over and over
2: again.
0: Over and over and over again. I think it's, is it Alice Kaplan that said, she's talked to an awful lot of people that have worked on the original handwriting, and she said it's like a switch. Some people can look at his handwriting, get used to it, and be able to decipher it. And other people, it takes an awful lot of training and grinding it out. And you seem to fall in that latter category where you perfect example saying it's like learning another language. You have to learn French, but then you have to learn Camus' handwriting. I think it was Kaplan that said it's just like a sweat. I think she had, I think she has the ability to read his handwriting quite well. And she feels blessed by that. So
1: it's a blessing. Yeah. Um, It really is. I saw Madame Mahasela, who is a retired when I was the first time there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he was working and trying to decode a very, very difficult part. I, I, I withdrew, I surrendered, and it, it was important to me because this was something that Camille wrote in pencil.
2: Yeah.
1: It was never published anywhere else in one of the very significant elements of his, of his um, essay on the rebellion. Okay. And there were several sentences there, and it took virtually two hours for her to decipher anything from that.
0: Wow. What what, uh, what was the physical condition of the notes on the fall that you were studying?
1: I was studying photocopies okay. of the, of the okay. first version, uh, which are not really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> the um, more accustomed to, to, to the style of the photocopies I was, the better I was with... Mm-hmm which part of the fall this will develop into. And it was actually like reading, um, uh, how to say it? The draft of the fall is very short.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's already the whole book. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he just stretched it with new stories and new additions in the next um, four or five versions. hmm and added and removed some things that were fitting and not fitting. It was like publishing a diamond.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting it cut just right. Yeah. So the end.
1: It was absolutely amazing. For example, when I was studying the, the last manuscript, the, the 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 ending of the four we know was the all the the, the 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 latest. Mm-hmm. It is part of a manuscript of the Thai script. He invented it, so there were like three or four versions before he was not satisfied with,
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: scratched them out, and proposed the ending we know.
0: We now have, yeah, great, yeah. That's fascinating to be able to go back and and this is a little bit of a tangent, but what worries me in the modern age is we don't have those kind of drafts anymore. Yeah. Like things that people write, they delete. they're no longer any good you know it's all digital so um you don't see the process unfolding you don't see the margin notes you don't see the inserts you know and 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 the the train of thought that went this way and then that way that's important too
1: Uh, it is very important so uh, and i think uh, i learned a lot from the development of the the book which i was
0: studying uh, yeah. because of the changes and uh, additions and removals yeah and it is another I, i've often said this to other camus scholars we have a little bit of advantage over other scholars because none of his works are hundreds and hundreds of pages and thick you know so you can read the stranger in a solid afternoon you know you can read the fall in a solid afternoon so it's uh, it is nice that way and we're not like oh, go ahead
1: With the only exception of the rebel, which is really, really impossible to read through.
0: (laughs) It is. It is. Even at a high speed, if you're not trying to think about it, if you're just trying to read it, it's too hard. And we don't have the problem of like Wittgenstein, where you got to be very clear, this is early or this is late. You know, with Camus, you don't see a lot of people talk about a lack of continuity, you know, from 40 to 57, you know, so yeah, it is nice that way. Who's your least favorite character in his body of work and why?
1: Well, it's very personal, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't really like the main couple of the state of siege, *Let at the siege, which is Diego and Victoria. Um, If you compare them to all the other characters coming, composed, created,
2: Mm -hmm. they
1: seem to be the most abstract creatures he managed to compose, and they are very, very um, above the, the, the level of conversation people would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of sounds to me when they speak that this is not a real dialogue. It's it's like an exchange of abstract ideas. No. So I don't, I don't really like Diego in this. Yeah. In, uh, the, the composition of his dialogues. Okay. But it's just a, a personal thing, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah that's great. Um, he often models characters after people. Do you have any gut feeling who these two may be in State of Siege? Well,
1: <clears throat> he knew who he wanted Victoria to be played by, which was Casares, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. his uh, great, great love. Yeah. And we now actually follow the correspondence between Camille and Cazares because the correspondence was actually published by Catherine Camille and edited by Gallimard. Uh, so I know that he thought of her as the main character, but I don't really think he wanted to envisage her as a like embodiment of Victoria. Mm-hmm. But he, there was some connection between Victoria and Maria Casares. I have never thought what kind of connection there is yeah. But always I am always cautious not to think of a too much attachment Between characters Camille invented and genuine people mm-hmm. Because I always were warned about this About his writing that it's actually an assembly of loose thoughts and yeah. sketches and drafts and pieces of paper yep. and all people. So it's it's not, n- never like a direct linkage between a person and, 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 and the character.
0: Yeah, my mind works in the opposite way. I do try to put the brakes on it, but boy, when I'm reading his work, it's hard for me not to try to figure out who composes this character in Camus life. And you're right, it's it's pieces that go into these people, but sometimes I'm just sure this is so-and-so, you know? And, and your uh, your discussion of the, the couple in State of Siege dealing with the abstract, my mind immediately thought, well, I wonder if this isn't part of Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir. This is a look at how they communicated in front of Camus or, or around Camus, you know, in the abstract, so. Maybe
1: that's a thought. I mean, there was always a lot of lofty, mm-hmm. up- discussions uh, in 1945 when Camille was spending a lot of time with with Beauvoir, with Sartre, and with Merleau-Ponty. Until they mm-hmm. were, maybe this is like a reminiscence of of that. that instead of thinking how to act properly, yeah. we are all making these long, long, abstract discussions.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yes, who knows, it's fun though. Uh, number seven, is his work dated or is it timeless or it is, is it a mix? Expand on your answer, please.
1: Hmm. It's, uh, it's like asking a Star Wars fan <laughs> whether the, the, the first trilogy is, is dated. Yeah,
0: it's perfect comparison, yep.
1: Difficult question because I'm a a Camus fan. I'm not only a scholar and I like reading him and I can't say that some parts of Camus have dated. I mean, his discussions of the human character and the faults of the human character and traits that are dangerous in our ability to live, uh, which can end with very dangerous... Ideas or ideologies. This is always relevant. Uh-huh. So the relevant. And mm-hmm. if you see what happened during the COVID pandemic, when people instantly started rereading the plague, yeah. it shows some, maybe not time, l- timeliness, but mm-hmm. it shows that some answers are still viable mm-hmm. and important to people probably they will be very very important for the future generations also mm-hmm. but of course evidently some other things will be less and less discussed mm-hmm. uh, it's like with the, the whole colonial debate mm-hmm. there was this post-colonial theory that started rereading Kami and then it actually ended and this this, this whole colonial discussion is not the most important one that is carried out nowadays Mm in the Camille scholarship and studies. So I think it will move from period to period. It's like with the 90s, we were all, probably all the scholars were interested in the first men because this was a novelty. Yeah,
2: Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And everybody wanted to know what was the the, the final thing Camille was working on at that Mm -hmm. time, but, I'm absolutely sure that there are some things which will always be discussed and which always gather attention. And nowadays I think this is the question about the the repercussions, the repressions, the terrorism and the border between rebelling in a proper way and moving behind uh, and and crossing the border and doing too much. this very recently with some students looking at the uh, after effects uh, of a murder in the United States when the policeman murdered uh,
2: uh,
1: yes, a completely innocent person and then the destruction started going on yeah. and we were trying to combine Camus' attitude to, to to the level of destruction that was going on and saying, well, Camille would not have approved of destroying mm-hmm. property because of the rebellion mm-hmm. that is going to the hearts of the people who witnessed um, an immense level of injustice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's amazing how in the American context that that piece has an awful lot to say and illuminates the downside of what happened, especially in the Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area. And then the plague always fascinates me because of course people are gonna pick it up now with COVID, number one for the title and number two for the author. Most educated people have heard of Camus and it is the plague. And, and it's not just like a throwaway metaphor title, it is about plague and here you are. But it the story lays out a connection with all of us living in quarantine now but then most people when they read it start to see those deeper levels and start to identify with people that are are, are caught in this particular situation so it's it's not strictly the title and the story that i think catches it's it's all of that that's built in there it's true, it's true. number 8 camus is most often included in the club of western philosophy granting me this premise What makes one a uh, philosopher and another not? Well,
1: I've been reading a lot of Pierre Hadot recently, and I think to answer this question regarding the relationship between Camus and philosophy, the Western philosophy, one has to start reading Pierre Hadot and come back to the ancient definition of philosophy
2: uh-huh.
1: and once you start understanding that for the greek philosophers and a lot of them didn't even know the word uh-huh. philosophy is a way of life amount of being rather than a set of arguments and publications and if you understand being a philosopher in this way Camus with a philosopher obviously uh-huh. because as far as i can understand reading his biography and reading books about Camille and reading his uh, articles and whatever he has written, he tried to live in accordance with the results of thought that impacted him in the most significant way. Uh Uh, To be more precise, I think he was a thinker that really seriously tried to embrace the effects Nietzsche had on the Western philosophy. Uh, what are the human consequences of living after the diagnosis of Nietzsche?
0: Sure, yep. yeah, I think you have a, there's a definite line of sight between Camus and Nietzsche, which is really important. I think that's a, that's a connection that is often, I don't think fully understood, and fully appreciated between the two. Um, let's cut the question a little bit closer. Camus sometimes has a problem being accepted into the world of academic philosophy, professional philosophy. Why do you think that is? Well,
1: it's difficult to say because, well, maybe because of his lack of professional experience in the Mm -hmm. academia, maybe because he was more of an essayistic Mm -hmm. writer than a professional philosopher with concrete, systems of uh, thought yeah. even say i don't consider myself a philosopher's philosopher because i don't have a system
2: mm-hmm.
1: so he had a very very narrow definition of what does it mean to be actually a philosopher even though he lived in the times where philosophy started being much more open
2: mm-hmm. than
1: narrow definition but uh, i think it comes in a way, to the imagery and the relationship between literature and philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, academic philosophers don't consider, which is strange, because Plato's dialogues are actually
0: literary works. They are, uh, yep. and they're complicated literary works because it's indirect communication. It's Socrates, the character, but you you can't tie the two together in a firm way, you know. So it, it's complicated. Yep,
1: very complicated, and. Mm-hmm. I think Camille used several ways of communication for several reasons, and he wrote philosophical essays, definitely, The Rebel and Myth of Sisyphus. Uh He tried to draft the the myth of Prometheus, uh, the myth of Nemesis, actually, uh, in his later uh, work, Uh which would be about measure. We can only guess what actually would be developed from that. Uh, but he would always compose these philosophical notions, like the absurd, the revolt, measure or love, with uh, literary imaginary Im- imagery, like mersault mm-hmm. the picture of a person who is actually experiencing absurdity. So, maybe he was not an academic philosopher, but actually if you understand what he tried to do by this means of communications, the dramas, the the, the literary arcs, the essays, and the short stories, uh, there was an intention of doing this this way. So instead of thinking how to push him into the academic definition of philosophy, I think it should be the other way around. We should understand what does it mean to be a Camusian
0: philosopher. Yeah, absolutely, I love it. I love it. And that's a very British American la- philosophical landscape sort of thing to do to have these, put these barriers up and you're in or you're out. And if you stand halfway, you have a problem. You know, too much analytic philosophy, I think. Maybe, but I actually like analytic philosophy.
1: It sometimes mm-hmm. helps understanding the, the concept of absurdity was analyzed by great analytic philosophers after Camille's death. Why not? If we can learn something from that. Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) I I often feel like this is a poor comparison and I want to elevate analytic philosophy a little bit higher, but it it feels a little bit like skepticism to me. It's got to be in philosophy. It has a place at the table. It's a very powerful voice, but it's not the end. Uh, You have to build. That's why I don't like skepticism because it doesn't build anything. Analytics does build something, but again, it, it can't, Dominate, but it really needs to be there. And I don't like this halfway deal. You're either continental, you're either analytic. I don't think that's helpful either. So, True. Yeah. yeah. Okay, like great. It, Gilbert or Ward and Lottman or Todd. <laughs> well, uh, to be
1: honest, mm-hmm. I very rarely read Kami in English. I bet. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I either read the Polish versions, which were translated by an exceptional translator, Jan Okay. who knew Camille, actually. Really? You Tell Camille that story. was working in France, and some friends of her and Camille, who were in the intellectual circles of, 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 of Paris, introduced Camille the idea of translating. Uh, I think the plague was the first one. Uh-huh. And under the condition that his most trusted Polish friends would read the, the translation and add some corrections. And this is how Jan Naguse started working as like a blessed uh, translator of Kami or the Polish, which doesn't mean that everything was translated by her.
2: Because
1: uh-huh. there were some other authors, but I think she managed to do an exceptionally good job because Mm -hmm. her
2: translation of
1: The Rebel, which is very difficult, Mm -hmm. books by Camille, is really, really good. I can actually say to my students, you can read The Rebel in Polish, because it's a translation. I wouldn't say the same thing about the English translation of The Rebel because it's faulty Mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. I think, if I need to go to the source, I read French. Yes. If I need mm-hmm. some time to enjoy Kami, I read Polish because this is my my, uh, my native language. Yeah. Uh, I actually like reading the fall in English, mm-hmm. but maybe because it's uh, the style of the translation is actually quite, quite sure.
0: complex. How many um, Polish translations of Camus' like major works are available.
1: Well, in most cases, there's one. Just one. But, mm-hmm. uh, res- very recently, fortunately, some translators started re-translating uh, the novels. <laughs> so we have uh, edition of of uh, L'Étranger,
2: mm-hmm. and uh,
1: also but, okay. Biographical works work fine uh, in the way they were translated many, many years before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So translating some things from French now, which were never translated in Polish, like Algerian Chronicles and uh, some essays and some combat articles.
0: Great, that's fascinating. Um, Lottman or Todd then, if you're gonna go for a biographical source. Uh, I have to read them both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me
1: why. Uh, there's much more precision in Todd. Mm-hmm. Because it's longer, it's much more detailed. Yeah. Uh I have a feeling that Todd sometimes is biased.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: In what way? Uh how he treats some some works of Kami Considers the importance of his books instead of saying, uh, I'm just writing the biography, he just condemns or judges. Mm-hmm. Okay, things Kami has written. Uh, and I really love the perceptiveness of Lotman, mm-hmm. uh, his inquisition, because mm-hmm. he had a much more difficult job to do yes. than he had fewer. Yeah. Uh, and he, he didn't have the full access
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, to the knowledge that Olivia thought would have later on. Would uh-huh. have, yeah. I actually, if I search for some knowledge on Camille when I'm preparing to interviews or when mm-hmm. I'm making about a specific, I never read them separately. I just try to read the one and the second one and compare yeah. and also reach to. Less known sources like memoirs of Bevois or, yeah. or yeah. Of, and things like that and yeah. this com- gives me a more adequate view and unfortunately it's sometimes four different versions
0: yeah exactly exactly yeah four different versions come out yeah I'm I'm amazed at Lotman sometimes because if you want to know what mail Camus got on a May twenty second Nineteen forty-nine. It's probably in there. You know, he got an electric bill, and he got, you know, four fan letters and a solicitation for a speaking engagement. The details amazing in there, and it is nice that it, if you're doing a contextual piece, you can sort of lay out what was going on before, during, and right after. And yeah, they're valuable sources. Uh, number ten. Did Camus cultivate his physical public image, his cult of personality? Or was it natural and not contrived? And why do you think this way? Hmm. Well, I'm,
1: I, I'm too young to decide mm-hmm. where this uh, physical um, attractiveness mm-hmm. people react with to Kami. He's one of the most quoted people, not only because of what he's saying, but the physique. Attached to the, the, the lines is also comparing to people, mm-hmm. image of an existentialist, as the people yeah. would, yeah. of a cigarette and yeah. in a smoke. It makes the mood. Uh, it makes the context. To a lot of people I know, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't really think this was actually an invention of Camille I think people just dressed this way, mm-hmm. and that they were smart, they were wearing ties all the yeah. time, trench coats all the yeah. time. He was photographed uh, during like, important events, mm-hmm. like being a, a, a reader for Gallimard, he would have to be advertised by his company somehow, yeah. like, within the, the, the whole uh, enterprise. So I, have, I don't really think this was like uh, something he conceived of and mm-hmm. uh, carefully maintained like the the, the the PR of himself.
0: Okay, yeah, yep. just a professional disposition and the evidence that we have, he's dressed for effect that day. I love that point that you made that there's a certain element to him physically that matches up with those quotes and it makes it really easy to take a picture of him and transpose a quote next to it and get it out there in the public. It's, he has a very high level of visibility today, still very high level. What's the biggest weakness in Camus' work and why?
1: Biggest weakness in Camus' work? Well, Clemence from the fall, mm-hmm. he said something like, Let's not beat about the bush. I love life. That's my real weakness. Uh-huh. So much that I'm incapable of imagining what is not life. So I think the biggest weakness of Camille is actually his biggest advantage,
2: uh-huh.
1: and it's uh, the way he treated life. Uh, he treated life as a, as a gift, as uh-huh. something. Of course, it can also bring suffering and injustice, but uh, he actually would love life
2: uh-huh. in a
1: very interesting way. Uh, he would want to have a laugh. He would be cheerful that things are happening, the sun is shining. And uh-huh go somewhere and meet friends and discuss with them some 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 things uh-huh. be very very careful and selective as to the people he would spend time with
2: uh-huh.
1: you Have to be trusted friends and and uh-huh. uh, and i think uh, it's also a weakness because it doesn't really prepare you uh for the things that are not pleasurable in life uh-huh. and of Camus you always see how unprepared he is for criticism
0: give an example and, of that
1: well his reaction to the publication of a very very um, acid review yeah. in okay. 1952 mm-hmm. very emotional his reaction
2: mm-hmm.
1: instantly he would search for support of the people around him
2: okay. as
1: a, as a, as a like a child that needs being taken care of by people. Mm-hmm. His inability to, to work well when he discovered that his wife has some difficulties, some, yes. some psychological difficulties in in living the life he chose to live and yeah. what she would actually choose.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it's a strange thing when you go to the cemetery in Lumarel. Mm-hmm. Actually, visibly see that people are staring at the Camille grave all around, noticing that Francine Fore Camille is lying next there.
0: Next there, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. As if she's forgotten.
2: And yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: An important person for him. He mm-hmm. would explain to her a lot of details about the philosophical complexities of the absurd. Mm-hmm. A really, really important person for him. I don't want to compare this like like Bevois to Sartre. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it was uh, a significant person for him and it's very, very difficult for him to see her suffering. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, so yes, I, I think this was uh, the, the, the biggest weakness for, for him.
0: Do you, see, do you see the downside of that? Uh, is it Clemence you see the ill-prepared aspect for the downside of life so if camus taking a little slice of his own psychology is that who he put it into to illuminate
2: maybe, that maybe it's in all of us we yeah. we, we prefer
1: the, the sun
0: mm-hmm. we don't see what's in the shadow
1: what's the difficult part uh, yeah. and when we discover that there's a lot of difficulty in life the whole joy suddenly disappears and it's much more difficult to cope with that
2: mm-hmm. and camus
1: that he'd coped with resistance, with combat, with occupation by uh, Nazi Germany, with tuberculosis, with uh, which was a very difficult period in France when everybody was looking for people to blame after the occupation. He had a lot of resistance, but he always had this moment where it was too much for him. Where you can actually visibly see the weakness, yeah. Like the publication of Mandarins by Beauvoir which was really for him a personal issue,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that one of the characters was similar to him. To him. And his start yeah. even before the publication of The Rebel, when they were disagreeing about the, the, the dirty and the clean hands in the revolution, so he would not be. Mm, an easy person in
2: disagreement i think mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. very very withdrawing and accepting for the other side in the quarrel
0: yeah you'd have to have quite a relationship with him to probably be critical uh, and he needed that but it would be difficult you also see it in his writing with the worship of the sun and, and lucidity in the mediterranean settings and then the darkness when any of the literature moves north, like the misunderstanding or cross-purposes, the darkness of Eastern Europe, and then Amsterdam in the fall, the darkness and the fog and the lack of horizon and the lack of sun and the neon light in Amsterdam alone. I can feel it now that you've said it, I've never thought about it this way, but I can feel it in his writing too. There's this dislike for the dark and not being wanting to accept it. And then the love, the actual maybe overinflated love of, of the, the brightness and the illumination of uh, Africa. Interesting stuff, Machi, always. Number 12, a lighter question. If a biographical movie of Camus were to be made, who plays him, dead or alive?
1: Well, I did a lot of research uh-huh. on, uh, looking for pictures of people huh. who may be in any way similar Mm-hmm. Uh, to camille and i have a problem because i would probably call vincent vaughn the okay. american
0: gotcha mm-hmm. yep ask
1: him to lose 30 pounds <laughs>
0: okay vince vaughn of the of swingers maybe
1: of yeah. that movie yeah and do a lot of research on camille's personality okay. he's and his uh, way of, of being mm-hmm. if I saw him in the casting having done this homework he would fit
0: yeah great
1: right. it started with the visi- physical yeah. uh, similarity but when it comes to uh, to the character uh, to being mm-hmm. uh, to be yep. it's very difficult yeah yeah it is but Really difficult and this would be rather a question to be asked to Catherine Camille, who Mm -hmm. knew how uh, to find a person who'd actually be
0: representative of Camille's way of being. To ask her if she's gone to a play or seen a movie and it struck her, that's similar to dad. Yep, that would be an interesting question. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Number 13, you've you pub- you've written and published on Camus. Pick one of your works on Camus, and tell me what you think his reaction to your work would be.
2: Well,
1: I've written two full books on Camus. One is 600 pages long. <laughs>
2: and
1: I think uh, if I understand the sense of humor Camus had, uh, and I remember a, a, a short element of Olivier's biography. There was a, a story when, in 1943, Sartre published uh, Being and Nothingness. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually wanted to read the book. <laughs> 600 pages of uh, existential phenomenology, yeah. and not a light read, mm-hmm. definitely. And one of his friends told him, don't worry, if people won't read the book. It, weighs actually exactly two pounds. So maybe you can sell it to the market uh, to weigh vegetables, for example. Uh, So I'd really be honored by receiving something ironical about writing 600 pages about Camille. much more important for me than a, a very, very careful analysis of whether I'm right or wrong. Because mm-hmm. I'm wrong.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm just a student of Jonas. If you know one of my favorite stories from the exile in the kingdom, mm. you never understand the master. You misinterpret him by making him much more profound
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, delicate and nuanced than he really is. Mm-hmm. Writing 600 pages about the book that is 200 pages yeah. long is definitely uh,
0: being a pupil of Jonas absolutely you're very much like kierkegaard in that sense is one of his favorite tricks was to write book reviews that were two times the length of the book um so you're in very good company <laughs> for 14 Camus often used real people as characters in his work he took part of their psychology physical appearance and life story and only made a thinly veiled character of them. How do you feel about Camus doing this? Is there a moral component that should be addressed here? Hmm.
1: Uh, probably there is a moral component to that. But, mm-hmm.
0: um, My students often pick up on that. They often get a little, yeah, their, their moral compass goes astray with that sometimes.
1: I would. Will- Make a partial answer to this question and limit myself only to the fall, which is Great. the most critical of his books regarding how he understands people around him. Perfect. Because people understand Clamence as a mock of Sartre, mm-hmm. a, a judgment on on Sartre, like an mm-hmm. aspect to Sartre's philosophy. Yeah, actually disagree with that. Mm-hmm there is maybe a part of the personage of Sartre implemented into Clamence, but there is also a lot of Camille uh-huh. and his way of thinking and being implemented into the whole so there is a kind of tendency in Camille to compose uh-huh. characters, of features that don't actually live together in the yeah. The world,
2: yeah, and
1: I always tell myself when I'm at the meetings and people joke around about other people that in order not to be um, morally wrong,
2: uh-huh.
1: joking about other people, start joking about yourself
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, and be ironical about yourself. Uh-huh. That's actually, what Kami achieved, he managed to a lot of his faults the character yeah only having done that he's able actually to pick on some
2: faults of
0: the other people so that's great My so are you weaving a case here that that my question tends to push one in the area that that camus is morally wrong or possibly morally wrong by doing this but it seems like you're taking it the other way and saying if you look at the characters, Camus mostly brings out his faults in himself, which is a very good way to to not push that on other people and not make fun of other people and ridicule other people. Is that what you're saying? Well, definitely. I
1: think he understood that he's not innocent,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and that he had some things wrong. Yeah. Uh, in some places, the critics were right.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, was wrong. So he's mixing this and trying to uh, react to where people were completely of uh, criticizing him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He evidently was right when he tried to accuse totalitarian philosophies mm-hmm. of the age for what they are doing to promote uh, drastic social measures like murder and concentration camps in, uh, uh, in Soviet Russia. But then on the other hand, he knew that, uh, his critics were also right to point out some faults in his thinking and reasoning yeah. about, about some philosophical ideas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so he said, well, let's make one image of the faults that I have and my uh, friends with whom I quarrel have and put this into one personage. Yeah. So, and this is this is a little bit better than just saying you're wrong, I'm right. Yeah. I'm the person, I'm Christine and you are yeah. all the mad.
0: Yeah. We're all probably wrong. Very self-reflective. So I, I have this desire to think in symmetry all the time. And it's a good thing or a bad thing. It, it clearly you and I can, can agree that with what you just said that he's devised some, he's written some characters, he's made some characters up that have, he's reflected on some of his faults and put them in there and exposed them for his own good and readers good, etc. Do you see the other side of the coin anywhere where he may have identified some strengths in himself and put those into a character i'm struggling because i just thought about this 28 seconds ago but i'm struggling to catalog any characters that may bring out some of camu's strengths Mm -hmm. um what do you think
1: well i think he was also a modest person
2: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: he didn't tell his children that he was actually working in a a resistance newspaper and he was awarded medals for that they had to discover that in a drawer at home yeah so uh probably he wanted to emphasize the courage of the people he knew that a lot of uh, things but he was very silent and this is actually something that is developed by zaretsky recently how engaged was, for example, Camille when he was in the occupied zone uh, with the uh, uh, clandestine movement of her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he would never actually use that mm-hmm. in literature. So he can expose some faults, some his yeah. character, <laughs> like his laugh. Uh, and last for life, and yeah. for, for, for sexual pleasure, for example, doesn't clear limits sometimes, and he makes fun of that in the fall.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but he's very silent about his like being moral,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and even when he's right, he writes it in an apologetic way there was uh, the Poznań massacre in uh, 1956. Mm-hmm. It was evident that the Polish government under the supervision of the communism is doing uh, horrible things,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the workers, which is a contradiction to the philosophy they support. And the, the introduction to that essay is, we really never wanted to be right in that oh, matter. Yeah. So... It's like, a, I'm not triumphant over the people who said the Soviet Union is like a, a utopia to come true sooner, sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Everybody dreams of a perfect society or a better society that would be mm-hmm. developing somewhere. So he, he, he doesn't really mock these people. He said,
2: mm-hmm. I told you that
1: something wrong is going on in Hungary, in Poland and in Soviet Union. Now you have evidence that it's true. I'm not happy about it because people are dying. Yeah. It's a much, much
0: different perspective he's taking
2: in mm-hmm. uh, this
0: area. The the thing that comes to mind, which is not near as deep as moral philosophy, but I just I can't help thinking of the uh, scene where you're watching the soccer players come home triumphant and victorious. Our team will live forever, I think. uh, He says that seems to be a flashback to his youth of maybe 16 or 17 years old when he wasn't diagnosed yet, when he was a tremendous footballer and that exuberance and that open future that has there. You can almost feel him. It's not necessarily a scene that he saw and recorded. It's a scene that he maybe lived and and made that connection. So it's an interesting Really interesting point, Machi, that, that I like the way you answered that question that he put himself in and it's self-reflective and it's often, often if not exclusively, because I've just started thinking about this, his faults uh, that come out. Great, great discussion. 15, in 1959, Camus said he was working on another novel not connected to the first man, but it was to be another original work. What do you think or hope that textbook be about?
2: Well, uh,
1: I know what he was working on Mm -hmm. based on manuscripts that are Mm -hmm. and available in France. He made some very, very rough sketches of the myth of Nemesis. Nemesis, okay. Mm -hmm. And which was supposed to be a philosophical, a lyrical philosophical essay. And Mm -hmm. there's a great PhD dissertation by Raphael from Brazil who managed to read the whole thing, decipher it and compose uh, research uh, on that issue. Unfortunately, it's in uh, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. Okay,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, 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 yeah. To answer your question, uh, we know only of the uh, first man. We know he was also trying to do something about Don Juan Mm-hmm. Uh, cycle, in this nemesis cycle, uh, and we know that uh, Camille is starting to be very, very self-reflective, mm-hmm. uh, and he's starting to very seriously understand the concept of uh, dialectics in uh, philosophy. Okay. time. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of contradictions and contrasts that need resolving, mm-hmm. What is the relationship between measure and love? What is the role of love in the life Uh, after revolt? How can we forgive people uh, that were our enemies when we had to revolt against them? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever was supposed to be next, uh, I think it would take much more time for Camille to develop. Mm -hmm. Given the difficulty of the theme he was working on,
2: uh-huh.
1: and given his uh, reaction to being condemned by professional philosophers,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, uh, so he would really have to spend a lot of time. And I think this is uh, the, the decision to, to focus on the novels at that period of time is, is understandable. He wants uh-huh. to work to the literary yeah. version. Yeah. Uh, then to understand what uh, what it actually means, but um, I don't know really uh-huh. uh, how it would turn out to be. Uh, the drafts we have of the first man
2: uh-huh. are very
1: centered and focused on, on on the past, for example. Yes. Yeah. For sure. There. Yeah. On the issue of reconciliation also Mm -hmm. brotherhood uh, how to be brothers after being enemies So maybe uh, the kind of thing that he would want to develop uh, in his novels Mm
0: -hmm. yes i mean i hope that would be the case the trajectory was for literature because in my view and i think a lot of people's view sometimes when he tried to enter that academic world of philosophy and write that way it's not the greatest work uh that he's done but the short stories and the novels are you know fantastic 16 i think it's my favorite question what artist would you like to see Camus collaborate with music static arts film etc why and what would you like to see them make
1: i'd love to see camus cami working with uh, jim jarmusch
0: oh jim jarmusch i love jim jarmusch um uh what's the um uh, oh the one uh the samurai movie ghost
2: Dog. Yes. Okay. oh
0: yes tell me why jarmusch <laughs> there's
1: something very philosophical about jarmusch mm-hmm. yep. people think that the whole movie is about nothing people just riding and talking and and thinking making dialogue. you can actually see that it's actually a reflection on what real life is actually
2: like. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, I'd love to see Jarmusch making uh, an aim of showing uh, L'Etranger the first part when he's he's trying to enjoy life but he's Mm -hmm. disattached to life, that Mm -hmm. he's complex in his life of being there and enjoying the sun and sand, and at the same time being distant mm-hmm. and side of uh, ways of understanding by other people. And given the way charmush can actually understand what's behind characters, mm-hmm. I yeah. think a pretty good version of The
0: Outsider. I think so, that's a fantastic one. I, I yeah, I love his work, so. Very well done, very well done on my favorite question too. (laughs) 17, who would you like to see Camus debate, living or dead? You can't say Sartre and what topic?
1: Yeah, there is a connection.
0: I'd really love
1: to be seen in debate because of the exceptional role that for many, many people around the world, Mahatma Gandhi had ah. in a nonviolent resolution of conflict.
2: I mm-hmm.
1: really love to see Kami discussing his yeah. idea of limiting violence and, and saying that violence is nowhere leading solution of political or social conflict and trying to find dialogue with a nonviolent way of resolving things that Mahatma Gandhi proposed. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, fascinating.
0: I think, yeah.
1: So that would be an interview I
0: definitely want to see. Yeah, yeah, great. Great, yeah, great answer. I think, yeah, I think the trajectory of that conversation would be helpful for an awful lot of people over a long period of time. 18, what is one thing that Camus taught you from reading his work?
2: Well,
1: there are a lot of things taught me, but the thing I'm always trying to have somewhere at the back of my head is that when you're actually condemned to death and they're going to hang you in five minutes, Mm You can see the untied shoelaces of mm. somebody doing the way. And what I mean here is that life doesn't have uh, a single perspective, a universal objectifying perspective that is um, dominant. Mm-hmm. And you can actually switch the perspectives even if you think you can't uh so the the, the prisoner who's condemned to death can see shoelaces and think it's important to tell the guy yeah the, the shoelace because he can fall and hurt himself
2: uh-huh.
1: and it's something you never think of uh-huh. there are like great narratives that make you engaged in such a way that you don't think there's any other way than joining or rebelling against the great narratives. And Camille was somehow always trying to find the third way to understand the great narratives, but also to understand that the great narratives are composed of tiny, tiny perceptions of more people looking from their own small perspectives. Perhaps the great narratives are just like myths or misconceptions. Mm-hmm. And maybe places are more important than uh, the great judgments of being pro or against death penalties. Sure. He was against the death penalty, but he was always trying to find a way of thinking what other people are feeling about this,
0: mm-hmm. How are they reacting to this, and why. And why, and yeah, that's part of that, this fascination I have with his opening and closing lines lately that there's they're so engaging. Uh, Camus often is opening lines in his text and the closing lines in his text. And this idea of the shoelace being untied is again, one that I always fall back on too. It's remarkable that you pick that one up because it is, um, it is, it is a remarkable piece. 19. Which was a bigger influence on his work, his mother or tuberculosis and why?
1: Well, I was thinking about this question and it occurred to me that he actually managed to overcome tuberculosis.
0: No, oh, interesting, so, tell me about that. Managed to
1: uh, find a life where being rigorous about his disease and mm-hmm. spending time in curing this disease didn't actually limit or seriously limit his life. Of course, mm-hmm. there was, would have never done like joining the military yeah. or sportsmen because of the illness and it had some severe impact. You can even see when he's undressed, how thin he was. Yeah,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because of the disease.
1: But I think uh, he never actually managed to make the same uh, acceptance mm-hmm. he had uh, of the disease, if we are talking about these two elements of his life, like yeah. the relationship with his mother and the relationship to the disease. So he managed confront the disease, I think, or I maybe feel when I read him that he never actually managed to feel the same with his mother.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Always somehow feeling guilty about his the, the great difficulty she had in life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But he couldn't help it. He, yeah. he could be very small, and there's nothing he could have done to, to, to make her work less hard.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Always feeling, I think, of being. Uh, a son of a person who had a very, very hard life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So his mother, I think, had a huge influence. An enormous influence. And when he was talking in uh, the famous Stockholm, mm-hmm. um, he was attacked by one of the FLN supporter students. Mm-hmm. There is a reason why he told about his mother Mm -hmm. in the the reply to this student. And I think the the, the reason is that his mother was really, really a significant person for him.
0: Person in his life, yeah, absolutely.
1: Person in his life. Uh, And and and, and also this uh, this line he wrote, uh, to the only person that will never read it's also an inherent tragedy of being a son of a person that will not read your work, your most intimate expression of yourself that will be uh, separate, invisible to the mother as the feelings of the mother were invisible to him
2: uh-huh.
1: a lot of times.
0: Absolutely, an yep. inability to express that, and then when he expresses himself, an inability for her to read it because she's gone. Yeah. yeah, very tragic. And finally, if you could ask Camus three questions, what would you ask him?
1: Well, I was working a lot on the re- revolt in, in Camus. I think the first question definitely would be about the value that one discovers when one rebels, because Mm -hmm. one time he writes that it's something we discover in ourselves, the other way he writes it in a more Nietzschean way, that we create the value by rebelling, that it occurs in us. Uh, So this is a question about actually the nature of humanity, Mm -hmm. something in us that makes us revolt
2: Uh
1: that is inherent in humanity or is it something that we create in order to protect humanity at the very moment that we rebel against injustice I'd love him to be more specific
0: Sure, expand on that
1: Mm -hmm. And the other question is all related to that he wrote a very, very short line in the rebel about human nature when he was saying maybe the existentialists are not right Mm. maybe exists as the greek greeks suggested a kind of human nature and then he doesn't write anything about the specifics of that idea
2: Mm
1: -hmm. being often understood by some academics and scholars as an existential philosopher. I think it would be really nice if I had the opportunity to ask Camille about his understanding of the human nature. What does it mean?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Any connection to nature as human beings? Yeah. Yeah. And the third question I think the third question would be about the meaning of life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Big one.
1: <laughs> Big one, but um, I'll make it more detailed. I wouldn't mm-hmm. ask Camille, what is the meaning yeah. of life? Mm-hmm. I would be able to answer that question. But being in lack of knowing George Hefferman, Pepperman, who wrote about the, the difficulty coming had with absurdity and overcoming absurdity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would ask him whether overcoming absurdity may be understood as having a kind of meaningful life. That mm-hmm. brings value and joy and happiness. Uh, in contrast, this experience of absurdity he was concerned about at the early stages of his philosophical
2: Mm
1: -hmm. possible to say that you can get cured Mm -hmm. from by endorsing and and, 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 uh, accepting the meaningful life that you actually want to develop uh, each and every day
0: very parallel to your answer about tuberculosis. Living with it, <laughs> living with it, yeah. That's perfect place to end, Machi. That's a great, great connection. I thank you for your time, my friend. Uh, always, always, I have tons of notes I've taken here for starter thoughts for myself and, and et cetera. I do have to ask you one question, um, mm-hmm. the Polish pronunciation of Camus' name. Um, you say Kemi, and can you tell me, tell us why or how?
2: Well, we usually
1: don't use the like okay. u
0: like mm-hmm. u. Uh,
1: in Polish, uh, it's very, very um, undefined how we say. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say Albert Kemi. Okay. More of an I uh, than u. Than u. I- I rarely hear people in Poland say Albert Camus. Yeah. They usually say Albert Camille. Sure. doesn't have this way of pronouncing, which would be in any way similar or um, easily uh, grasped by Polish uh, to 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 identify uh, with a French pronunciation. Yeah. So it's a kind of Polish. Uh, I've been using Polish for so many years that yeah. even if French, French are a little concerned when
0: I pronounce his surname. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like they would pronounce it. I love it. Great. Well, thank you again, Machi. Um, again, time very well spent. I appreciate you taking the time to prep and uh, and line everything up on a Friday here. So um,
1: it's a great uh, opportunity to talk about Kami. Because 2020 is unfortunately one of the interesting years Camille warned about. uh, In his Nobel Prize uh, reception, he said that the most difficult thing for the Chinese was to say that you will be living in interesting times. Mm -hmm. Not something good for people to live in interesting times. And in the interesting times, we have to find some uh, consolation and talking about Camille and the way he actually managed to to,
0: to, to go through
1: very difficult and interesting times is a kind of consolation
0: for us, I think. I think so too, very much. Very, very well said, my friend. I'm gonna end the recording now and we can continue to chat after.
2: Thank you very much and it was great to hear.